when you have a company and when you have a team, you need rules, rules of engagement, how to rule them all with rules or not. And this and the book No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings is something I want to talk to you today on the podcast. Okay, so we're going to refer to this book um, from here on out as the Netflix book because exactly. Reed Hastings, of course, is the the you know founder, CEO, whatever of Netflix. Yeah, he wrote this book, and um, apparently, or let's say, the description of the book says it's very unorthodox, very um, disruptive, uh, maybe like different, the different way of running a company. Uh, so on one hand. It's funny because some of these things, we've already been implementing them uh, for a while now in our company. But yeah, but some new things we figured out after reading this book. And the best part is that when I told you about this book, I wanted to have a reason for you to discuss this on the podcast. And instead, you decided to skip on the podcast and just outline some new no rules rules that we're going to implement in our company. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, that, that's such a me thing to do, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess the the content of a of the book is not so much I mean from from my perspective not so much disruptive or like new as much as it is extreme like some of these things already seem pretty straightforward to me but like in a very kind of mild so-called reasonable manner and their idea for this was like taken to the extreme um, so maybe let's get concrete and um, why don't you explain to me the, the the main idea of the book, which is the, the striving for high talent density. What, what does that mean? Yeah, so Reed Hastings, I mean, Netflix, uh, when they were founded, they, of, of course, they started growing and they grew pretty fast. And then dot-com happened. And then they had to fire like 30% of people because, of course, you know, to make ends meet and to sustain the company. What surprised them was that they, with the people who stayed, got more work done and better work done than you know when they were the full team. So, like losing thirty percent of workforce didn't didn't result in thirty percent less work. It actually resulted in better and more work. Then he realized uh, that talent is all that matters, and this is what always Steve Jobs was saying that he doesn't want to have bozos. He wants to have talented people in Apple, right? And that's the thing. The idea that we don't we shouldn't aim at just headcount, but at really great people, talented people who can be, uh, you know, responsible for their stuff and just delivering great work and by intrinsically motivated just to get stuff done. Hmm. I guess um, the point here is that, like, if you want to have a company that does above average things, like like mm -hmm. really world world class work, not just you know, run-of-the-mill company, then, you know, one way to, to do it, uh, certainly not the only way, <laughs> but but one way that's kind of promoted is to really be very extreme about only having kind of best talent in a company. And there's some, I don't know, at times there's some Silicon Valley bullshit uh kind of to filter out from the book, but there's definitely some truth to the idea that it's not fun to work with people who don't know what they're doing, right? If if you know what you're doing, uh, it's just, 
so much fun. It's so good. It's so productive to work in a small team with just a handful of people with, you know, so small that there's no kind of communication overhead. You know, all know each other and everybody's really, really good at at what they do. Um, hence the idea to strive for high talent density as in, you know, avoiding having people who are just average. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to discuss this book with you because we've made some changes in the company, but also some we've had some experiences in the last year with that. So you remember, like uh, in your case, you were trying to hire new engineers, but in the end you decided, okay, I, I cannot find right now an engineer I want, so let's just not hire now and stick with what we have and just, you know, have the constraint of having this number of engineers and do, you know, with this and we'll see in a few months, you know, if we need somebody else. And, you know, we made the conscious decision, you know, let's not hire anymore because, you know, we tried, we couldn't find people that we wanted. And uh, the same happened in the marketing team that we, um, we had to let go of two people who didn't fit and then we got new people in. But for example, I remember when, uh, I think I was already praising Marco on this podcast, but anyway, our video guy, when he showed up and he showed up with new ideas and new work, and it kind of, you know, for me, was like a reminder, wow, this is when you have somebody who really knows what they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's, it's so good, so refreshing, you know, that there is somebody who comes in with new ideas and, and, um, and just does them, you know? So, um, so really, I like it that, you know, at the end of this awful year of 2020, we decided to actually stay smaller than we used to be. So we are 21 for 21. <laughs> so we're just 21 people right now on the team and and consciously decide, let's, t- let's like, we have a great product. We have a great team. Let's just stick with this team right now. And just within these constraints, like do whatever we can. No matters of hiring and firing are comfortable to discuss, but it really is something you can sense. I mean, over the years, many people came and gone, um, either left or were let go. And you can see a definite pattern. Like working with really, really, really good people is great. Uh, So right now, you know, we're 21 for 21. It's not exactly out of our desire. We'd definitely not like to be slightly bigger than that. But it took us a while to realize that it makes no sense. You know, like in the past, we would fall into the the kind of trap of thinking or the standard way of kind of managerial thinking that it's always good to have, you know, an extra pair of hands to do work. Yes. And even if someone is average, there's plenty of average work to do and it's fine, mm-hmm. right? The best performers will you know, be able to focus on the the most valuable things. But in practice, it just feels to me no, like... it doesn't work like it, that. It doesn't work like that, right? Uh, like, people who are not that that, that great at, at um, their trade, they they suck away energy. <laughs> um, they, they contribute little um, compared to what they can offer. Yeah, and and I remember like we we've had these conversations, you know, in private so many times when like when with you or with other people when somebody was complaining to me or you saying, you know, I cannot work with this guy. Like it's just it, it's just not, you know, fun because 
because like there is this disbalance because you know that this person is not delivering you know great work it doesn't inspire you to work with them you know it it and then it actually it's i would say it's it even annoys you that you have to work with this person you know so it's mm. and even though rationally as you said rationally it's not a big deal that there is somebody who's not really very good it's okay they can do this you know you know average work but we are not just rational creatures. We like to be inspired. We like to feel great. We like to feel that things are going and progressing. And for that, we need people who do that to us, you know? Yeah. So um, the Nosby team's uh, front-end development team is really small right now. We're three and a half people. I count as the half since I, I kind <laughs> of do... I removed myself from day-to-day -day operations to do, I guess, research and development. And... It will be great to have more people, but but we couldn't find someone that would be as good as you know others we already have on the team. The the team we have is tiny, but really good, really good. And you know there was one candidate that was good, but not great, and it was tough. But we had to decide. No, um, we have to pass. We have to wait for for us to be able to find someone that, that's going to really enrich this team. Yeah, and th this is a tough decision. This is, uh, yeah, I'm really happy that we managed to to to, to, to do it, to, to make this decision. So uh, high talent density, but uh, getting back to, to the book, this also meant um, you don't want people on the team who are assholes, even if they're talented. Mm -hmm. Like, th yes. there's just... I think we've all encountered uh, in our lives people who are competent, but just unbearable to work with. And oh, yeah. suck away energy from everybody else, like detracting from the overall output, even if their individual work is really good. Yeah, and um, we've, had, we've had also examples of people who are just brilliant, very good. But really, like real assholes. <laughs> so I apologize. So, I apologize. <laughs> and and the thing is, and the thing is, with with uh, it's and especially what in the book they're trying they're trying to say what we have already been saying that you have to re you have to get to the situation where you you are partners with people who you work with. So it's not uh, like just boss and not boss relationship. It's partner relationship. So you work together. And to work together, you have to be candid as well. So you have to be really be able to say straight in your face what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But if you have somebody who's not a nice person, you don't want to discuss with him or you just or with her. You just don't want you are afraid to do it. You you withhold information. You uh, you are just not comfortable discussing with them. So you're not advancing. You're not moving forward. You're not doing great work because, you know, them not being nice to you, not being uh, somebody you can trust, it's not inspiring. I think we've discussed the idea of open, candid feedback countless times over the years on the <laughs> podcast and uh, so much yes. that I'm, I'm already so done with this. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it still surprises me. Like, I just don't know how teams operate in which usually there's this whole ceremony of yes you can't really be candid you you can't speak openly you have to know like who's you know too sensitive and then you have to be very careful with how you phrase something so that they 
they understand that you're you're giving feedback and not trying to offend them that you know with with this boss you have to be really careful because they're they're an asshole with with this boss you can be straight i mean it, it, it's unbearable like to be able to be efficient in a team you have to be able to just you know speak straight and and be completely candid with um uh, you know all the things that are good and all the things that are bad and need improvement and it, it takes a lot of work because it's just not generally part of our culture like culture more broadly not company culture to be um this this candid um but it, it really makes it difficult to be efficient when every time you have to you know <laughs> someone makes a mistake you have to be very careful and can't just you know speak straight i mean Remember, there was this whole story of these Korean airlines where they were just too nice to each other and the captain and the second in command. Mm -hmm. And because of this, people died because <laughs> like, we are hitting the ground, literally. Uh, you know, dear uh, captain, um, how should I uh, rephrase this? <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> so, like, what? <laughs> yeah, this actually happens more than once. Plane crashes because the culture could not bear the second in command to say that the first in command is making a serious mistake exactly uh, and and you know the, the i have i have a story from just this week uh, for this year uh, as uh, as a back as, as a marketing leader in the team i tried to start leading by context mm. not by managing so what what also in this book is uh, you know uh, is being promoted uh, to lead by context context means you set a context like what what you know what we are trying to achieve more or less but then leave people to do their stuff to get there and mm -hmm. to figure out by themselves how to get there so i so I said to everyone that I have no responsibility on marketing whatsoever. I am, my responsibility in marketing is to help them achieve their success, but I want other people to be responsible for things. I shouldn't be responsible for anything. And I thought I did a great job explaining this. And then this week came, and speaking of candid, uh, my favorite person in the world, Ivona, our head of customer support, mm. she's the most candid person we know. Like she can straight tell you straight in your face what she thinks and she doesn't have, she doesn't pull any punches. And she did on Monday tell me that everybody's confused about my role in the marketing. That, that, that what I said was really confusing and they <laughs> thought that it means I'm not going to work in marketing at all. <laughs> so I had to you know, I get the marketing team together again and explain to them, no, 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 I will serve you. I will help you. I will, you know, be helping you any, any way I can. I will be working for you, but I am not responsible, which means I want you to be more autonomous. I want you to achieve your success. I want you to have, have something that you do that you're proud of, but I'm going to be just on the side helping you. I'll be your servant, not your manager. That's what I mean. So it was like I had to repeat it several times, but it was just great that first I tried to, you know, do lead by context. I failed. I got a candid response from somebody like Michael. <laughs> Try again. And then I tried again. I'm sure I'm going to have to repeat that several times over. Mm -hmm. But uh, I love this fact that I got a very, like, Ivana just told me straight in the face, like, like, you know, how it was interpreted, what I failed at. And it was great. I mean, I didn't feel good, but I understood, okay, I made this mistake. This is not how I was supposed to communicate this. Let's try again. But just think about it. Like, uh, 
in any other company if this is not the case. How do you tell the boss that you know he's been completely misunderstood, right? Mm -hmm. That's another one of these things that's really difficult. Difficult in a different way because it's not just about managerial decisions, but it's something that affects how everybody operates. And yes, just like it's very difficult for people to swallow the idea of you know actually being candid in your communication. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult for people to, you know, for everybody in the team to swell the idea of kind of being autonomous and like mm -hmm. only being given context, right? The kind of broad goal and the design or marketing or business constraints that shape possible solution space, but not actually the exact solution to implement or steps like you're, you're not just a worker following through with the path that you've been given you have to figure it out yourself being given only the general information from which you can derive a solution and just you know to me that that sounds like just another day and like the <laughs> yeah. the the thing to cherish and and strive for to like free yourself from you know the oppression of um everyday companies where you don't have this level of autonomy and you're given the thing to work on even though you have enough context to know that this is the wrong solution this is stupid there's a better way of doing that but it's very difficult for most people apparently to lead in this way to be given this much autonomy because you don't have enough constraints, right? There's multiple things you could do. And it's exactly. just, you know, it, it engages your, your skills, your intellect in a very different way than just, you know, following through with the trade at which you've, you've been trained to make decisions, make good decisions, you know, think about a problem space and come up with the right way to proceed and not just execute on what's been decided by someone else. But but the upside, like the reason why you do it is A, it feels great. Um, like it, it attracts high talentacity. And B, the small people, the small number of people at the top, they don't know it all, right? They might have the context. No. But when you draw from the pool of people who are actually doing the work, uh, they're more likely to have the right answer if you give them the chance to come up with it. But but that's remember our discussions before, like uh, here on the podcast and in private, like the that was the, 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 this is a constant problem. It's not only on the you know managerial bosses side, it's also on the people's side for them to understand. Yes, you have the autonomy. Like you have to decide. Like your boss is here to help you, but not to decide for you, not to give you widgets to crack. You have to figure out your own widgets before you go, you're gonna crank them. Like you have to figure it out yourself. You know, you have to know, all you know is, as you said, just, uh, you know, what kind of widgets we're likely to, to need. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> but it's it's hard. So I, I, I assume that, the, for example, this whole quarter for me, uh, at least, will be time to, like, repeat this and, you know, reassure people that, yes, I am just here to help. And, you know, you do your thing. You're be responsible for your stuff. But, um, but I'm excited about it. Because uh, this is, like, I finally, I think I understand 
how I really want to lead this company. Because uh, it's always been kind of this moment where, what would Michael say? What would Michael do? I don't know what Michael would do. <laughs> you know? So, like, I don't like that. I, I don't want to be that, you know? <laughs> I mean, you say that, but um, the truth is that as far as product development is concerned, you have successfully removed yourself and I mean that in the, the best possible way. You have successfully removed yeah. yourself from the process years ago. And like you participate yeah. in it when asked or when you feel like it. But like the the actual development of the product just runs without you. And that's that's good. That's that's the way it should <laughs> yeah. be. Um and as a brief aside before we move on, um you know, this, this Seth Godin metaphor of cranking out widgets as the other thing from doing intellectual work now irks me after, you know, all my reading on lean manufacturing and, and stuff like, man, there's there's so much so much um, room for autonomy and improving things that most workers cranking out widgets don't have, but might. That it, it's, it's no longer a great metaphor as far as I'm concerned. Ah, okay. Uh, okay, so... We talked about high talentity, about candid feedback, about leading with context. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about the no rules and no rules rules, um, the removal of policies. One of the no rules is the question of vacation time. And in most companies, there is like a set number of days a year you can take as vacation. And in the US, there are not that many days in Europe there are more uh, we're more socialistic in this and the thing is that in the book they say that you should not count vacation days you should let the people decide how many days they want to take hmm. and in theory that sounds great again more autonomy more decision but there were numerous studies and numerous interviews with many companies that this fails because people then tend not to take vacations, not to take vacation days. And we know from our own experience in our company that we sometimes have to kick people out to take vacations because they don't do it. So uh, this is a very Silicon Valley thing. Like it's such a quintessential Silicon Valley thing to be like a startup and be like, oh, you know, we have a ping pong, t ping pong table and we have an unlimited vacation policy. So yeah. just take, wherever we don't even track it it's fine um, <laughs> but so but you know time and time again you can see that this is bs that yeah, they, the pressures they say unlimited vacation time but what they really mean is you don't have the allotted days that you really should take so <laughs> combine that with the american silicon valley big startup pressures to work to crunch and what do you think people are going to do with unlimited vacation policy they're just going to take very little vacation yeah oh i'm gonna go for two weeks on bora bora oh no we have a very, very important project okay so after the project no but after that project we have another important project and we have another important, and we have to burn overnight fuel to do it like it's mm -hmm. bs so what we did and and you was actually what you did um, is you said uh, you you, you you changed our vacation policy in Dosby. I did. So what we did thus far is we uh, almost we we followed the um, Polish labor law mostly. Yeah. So Polish labor law is like um, 
you have 26 days off, like paid, paid days off from work a year, and you can take more um, if you want, but they're not paid. Um, except if you're young, like straight out of high school or straight out of college, you have just 20 days and you need to have X number of years, which is different depending on whether you went to university, whether you qualify for the 26, right? So um, what we did differently from the standard Polish labor law um, policy is that um, generally what happens is that if you don't take your paid um, paid days off from work, then you're eligible for the equivalent in cash. So you get paid more because you worked more. And we didn't do that. We're like, no, you just like we're not we're not trading your you know soul for a little bit of extra money. I mean, you you just yeah. you, you need the rest. So you know, twenty six days and you need to use up your days until March of next year and you have to use it. And if you're absolutely stubborn and refuse to take it, that you will be assigned days off. I'm not sure if that ever happened, but it, it's been... Oh, it did. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but, but mostly it's just a threat. Uh, like, please, please take vacation and rest when you want. Um, <laughs> or else you'll be forced or to else. rest. <laughs> Um, but and especially that was the problem with the with the 2020 when we couldn't travel so like nobody wanted to take vacation and yeah, we're like no yeah, no no yeah. even staycation whatever just you know get out of here <laughs> yeah same i did that too um anyway uh, so we modified it slightly uh i mean first of all um so this is what I proposed after being halfway through the book and we promptly implemented. So first of all, you don't ask for permission to take vacation. I mean, we always yeah. like, oh, you need to like ask and delegate to your manager. And like, I actually went through like a year of of the tasks in, in the project to see if anyone was ever refused. And that doesn't happen like... I mean, why why would you be refused? Like, you have enough context. You have the calendar. You know, yeah. if like, if you're in the support team, like, you can't have the whole support team be on vacation at the same time. But like, you don't need your manager to grant you permission. Like, you're you know, you're a big boy. You're a big girl. You can see the calendar. You can see whether that's a problem or not. So you know, just state that. Okay, inform your colleagues that I'm gonna be taking vacation. Second of all. Uh, no more um, discrimination of college dodgers and and such. <laughs> like, why would I be eligible for less vacation just because I decided that I'm not going to waste five years of my life and not go to college? I mean, <laughs> how does that make sense? Like, I, I can see how that made sense, you know, 40 years ago in Poland when you wanted to, for people to, like, grow it out of the you know industry work into high intellectual work go to college get educated you know join the european union but like i mean come on so we'll get rid of that and uh just for kicks instead of 2026 20, is just 27 days off yeah for no particular reason just because it you know sounds cool <laughs> just because it sounds cool uh, and you know maybe in the future we can we can uh get more uh, but yeah, tw twenty-seven days off from work a year, and you must take it. And it, those are paid paid days off, and that's it. I mean, 
better than unlimited vacation policy because people are actually going to take the 27 days off from work. And, you know, that's like more than twice as much as my American friends say they have. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So when you when you think about that, uh, like, so th- th- what 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 we do is because we have quarterly reviews with uh, with the team members. So um, I think it's after second quarter is when the alarms go off. Mm-hmm. It's like you still have twenty days of your vacation. So <laughs> should I sign it for you, <laughs> or will you still choose <laughs> when you're gonna mm. go? So <laughs> it's like uh, it doesn't get tense. But but that's the thing, and and this way we really make sure that people go on vacation, that people really you know disconnect from work. And, and not by, as you said, you know, instituting policy, like BS policy, whenever you want, come on, no problem, you know, unlimited, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So we do have a policy. We do have rules around that, but they're like as basic as they get. We actually had some written up rules. You can do this and you cannot do that. I, I just I just removed the whole section and, and <laughs> like, you know, um, just... You know, be reasonable. Here are a few example guidelines, but like it's not rules or guidelines. Like, hey, you probably don't want, you know, multiple support people to be on vacation at the same time if possible. But like, those are guidelines. I mean, we're reasonable people. Uh, we don't have to. We don't have to create corporate policies for everything. Yeah, and that's the the, fun, the funniest part is that uh, my father he's he's our VP of finance, and he <laughs> has to come up with the creative ways. Uh, to, to cover up our asses, basically. Because, you know, the, the government requires us this and these rules and these rules. And these rules. Mm-hmm. We say, ah, we don't need those rules. So my father has to figure out the way how to make us look compliant to the ru- government rules while still doing our way of doing things. And yeah. very often he's like, he's complaining to me that, you know, ah, Michael, but, you know, they require this and this. And I'm like, figure it out. Figure out what, they, what, what, what we really have to do and then, you know, so that we can do what we want to do. Yeah, because they're just like silly things like, oh, it's 26 days from work. And there are certain accounting rules of how to deal with those 26 because they're like not work, they're vacation, but they're paid and what happens. So if you like more, I mean, this isn't vacation as far as the (laughs) labor laws is concerned. It's something else. So like, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's BS. It it essentially doesn't matter. Um, It's not about, you know, taking away some rights. It's about granting more, but you have to state it in a weird way. But just think about it. But the government assumes that if the employer changes the rules, it means they want to cheat the employee. Yeah, you know, that's the because, because that's, that's what they assume. That's usually what happens. <laughs> exactly. So if there is an employer who wants to actually do something uh, better, different, as in better, you know, they're like, no, you cannot do that. You have to adhere to the to the to the law. <laughs> the lawmaker did not consider the possibility of a company wanting to grant more than is required days off from work that would be paid. I mean. You know, th- there's no reason to consider that in the law because no one would do that, right? Um, <laughs> Who would do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically that's it. So um, another no rules rules that they had? Yeah. That comes up to mind? Uh, there were spending policy and travel policy, but ah, yeah. they're in the same vein. We can just discuss them very briefly and wrap this episode up. Yeah. Uh, in, in that sense, in that sense uh, for example, you know, 
we finally have to figure out this thing to that so that everybody has a just a, a credit card from the company that mm. you know they can use to pay but right now still people are just using the card and paying and and buying stuff and again it's it's like many things what they mentioned in the book is that you have to lead by example so mm-hmm. so sometimes you have to push people like so we have to push people to go on vacation and, and you also have to push people to buy something from companies you know using companies money because people are you know normally not they don't want to spend you know companies money without unless on drinks on a reunion but apart mm. from that you know they, they, they it's it's really hard so it's like you know eh, should i buy this monitor or whatever yeah get the monitor like, like it's like you know you have to or should i buy this or maybe this book the book this book is expensive it's a book buy the book like it's it's always this you know this thing that you have to just kind of lead by example and motivate people to actually also spend the company's money uh, because we trust you that you're going to be reasonable. Yeah, you know, like, like you're going to be reasonable. We know you're gonna, not going to just buy lavishly, I don't know, BS things. So just use them because if you need something, instead of, you know, spending hours figuring it out, just get it and do it. Okay, listener, uh, Michael is just doing his usual thing and just speaking, assuming you've, you've read the book. What he's talking about is that, you know, about spending policy and travel policy, the book is like don't have any and um <laughs> yeah yeah that that's <laughs> you know not not exactly what we've been doing but but sort of in the same vein so like uh, you know the book had many examples of like how these policies are made you know people you know managers wanting to cover their asses or usually there's a story like you know someone yeah. messed something up so there's a new role um but yeah i, I mean we can also see how people don't tend to spend companies money because like they they just i guess don't even consider that a possibility i don't think we've ever had an instance where someone would abuse the you know the credit card numbers that aren't one password i mean it's just there um exactly and, and like it's really silly because like so one thing that's not exactly don't have policies but one thing we did and because i pushed for it after reading the book is um we we had to force people to get themselves monitors and yes. the company paid for it because for almost anyone almost all of the time it's just better if you have a laptop to connect it to a big screen have a real keyboard have a real mouse ergonomic whatever or any just don't work you know don't work on your laptop have a big screen it's a good thing but most people didn't do that and yeah, it's not that expensive. It's just obviously a good thing to do. So, yeah, we 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 had to do that. Yeah, because we we thought that people, you know, will think about it and they will consider it. But for some people, like it's not something they consider. Like they think, okay, I have this one screen on the laptop and it's fine. I'm okay. I'm not complaining. Um, so we just, I I think it was great. We made a decision. Okay, everybody gets a second screen. If you want a fancy second screen, then you know will have another a different process for that but if you just need as i mean if you don't have a second screen we'll get you one mm-hmm. <laughs> whether you like it or not <laughs> so and you have to connect it and you have to use it so um it was aligned with what we wanted we want people to have a nicer work environment and uh, even even if they thought what they have what they had was enough because we know for a fact that as you said having additional screen is good so yeah but basically, as you said, as few policies as possible. Just, you know, let people decide. But for that, we have to lead by example. But even with that, even with, you know, like 
guys like you leading with example, it's still hard. You have to still convince people to just, you know, speak up and do something. You know, it's it's still hard. Yeah. I have a very hard time um, convincing people to lead in their own area and just, you know, do good work without being directed. It's very outside of normal parameters of what people expect. And uh, it's a process and the team gets better at it. Um, yeah. Every time I, I prod them in this direction, they get a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, it's it's difficult, but worthwhile. And yeah, I think it's time to wrap up. That was No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings. To be honest, I didn't take good notes of the book, so we just discussed whatever we happened to remember. Um, there's a you know you know it's a pretty long book, so there were other things that were interesting that we probably skipped. But yeah, that's essentially it. Yeah, uh, so I encourage you to check it out and to uh, read the book in in its entirety. And uh, some of the things that uh, Reed is writing about, I'm writing in my no office book. So yeah, good stuff. Treat people like adults, you know, and <laughs> crazy. Very extreme. Yeah. <laughs>